Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Both here and online, uh, so glad to be able to be with you today. Um, it was about seven and a half years ago that I left my time serving as a pastor here, and uh, this is the first time on a Sunday morning that I've been back standing here uh, addressing you, and I got to tell you, it feels really good. It feels like being home. And uh, yeah, thank you. And I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to bring not only Judy's and, and my uh, presence and attendance here to this church, but Shepherd Ministries, the ministry that we lead now, uh, under the covering of this church. Everybody needs a church home. And um, I'm grateful that we can call this home once again and fellowship with you folks. And uh, if you weren't here last week to hear what Shepherd Ministries is all about, if you go on the church website and uh, look under the Ministries tab, you'll see a Shepherd Ministries uh, page there. You can go and find out a little bit more about what Shepherd Ministries involves and what, what we're doing. You got to know, I think you know this, but I want to say it. You have great pastors at this church. You really do. Yes. Amen. <laughs> um, Pastor Kyle and Christina are, are close friends of ours, and we just value them. But uh, I've watched Kyle as a pastor, and he has a shepherd's heart. And uh, you're blessed to have him. And, and uh, Pastor Holly and Andrew are longtime friends of ours, 20 years. We've known them, uh, which is weird, because you must have been like five when we met. Right? <laughs> I've uh, known them for a long time, since before they were married. And um, then Isaac over here, um, his parents were in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. And I, I married his parents. I did, did their wedding. So I've uh, known Isaac since the day he was born. And uh, you're blessed to have him as uh, your youth pastor here these days. So this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about storms a little bit. Would you agree with me? I think you would say it's, it's fair to say that we live in a stormy time in our world. That's true for the whole world. It's true for, maybe for you individually and your family, what you might be going through right now. In January of last year, 2020, uh, Judy and I were in Asia. One of the parts of Shepherd Ministry is, 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 involves uh, us heading over to Asia a couple times a year to work with our free Methodist missionaries over there. And we had been in, in Thailand and Taiwan, and we're coming back to Seattle on a flight that went through Hong Kong. So we're in the Hong Kong airport. It's the middle of January last year. And we hear over the PA system, um, attention, if any of you have been in the Wuhan, China area, Please report to such and such a desk. And they used the term coronavirus. And Judy and I just kind of looked at each other, and we were tired and travel weary, and we didn't really know what that was all about. Well, now we kind of know what that's all about. Uh, by the way, we had not been in China and, or Wuhan, so you know, we're safe, OK? Um, and then we got back home, and all that happened has happened. Um, I was talking with someone this week and found out that one of our free Methodist pastors in India, which is really struggling with the coronavirus right now, uh, passed away within the last couple of weeks. Uh, I talked with another person that's connected with India, and he said a friend of his in India has lost three family members just in the last two weeks uh, to this virus. 
Uh, Judy and I had a, a close friend that, that died last year of uh, coronavirus, and he's local, lives in Edmonds. My sister, who lives in Denver, is just getting over her bout with, with COVID, and uh, she's, she's doing better, and she's going to make it, but it's scary. We have friends who have lost their businesses. Uh, they're entrepreneurs, business owners, and this virus has knocked them, knocked them out of business. Then we have political storms, don't we? I'm not going to go there a whole lot, but I just want to acknowledge that there's political storms that we've been dealing with. And then there's problems in other parts of the world. We hear about what's going on in the Middle East and in Israel, and uh, it's concerning. There's violence there. There's violence here in our own nation. But today we're going to look at a storm, a literal storm that took place in Bible times and how Jesus and his disciples dealt with that. And then after we talk about that, I want to tell you a little story about a friend of mine that will apply, I believe, to the story of Jesus in the storm. But today we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And uh, this is from the New Living Translation. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. What lessons can we learn from this story that we can apply to our lives now in 2021? Well, first of all, we learn that Christians are not exempt from storms. I think we all know that. But sometimes we, we lose sight of that. This was a fierce storm. That's the, the term that's used here in, in the Bible. It was a fierce storm. It came up on the lake. Now, if you've never been to Israel, I, I've been there once. I know Pastor Kyle, maybe some others of you have been there. Um, just a little bit of setting here. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long from north to south. And at its widest point, it's about eight miles wide, east to west. And my first reaction when I saw the Sea of Galilee, this was just a few years ago, our, our tour bus pulled up, and my first thought was, oh, this reminds me so much of Lake Chelan. If you've ever been to Lake Chelan, which probably a lot more of you have been to than the Sea of Galilee, uh, just you picture those rolling mountainous uh, hills all around it, and, and then this lake in the middle of it. That's what it felt like to me when we approach the Sea of Galilee. So maybe you can picture that uh, a little bit with me today. A number of years ago, there was a man by the name of W.M. Thompson, and he wrote a book called The, Lord, or the Land and the Book. And he was talking about the Bible and the land of Israel. And uh, he shared some experiences he had while he was in Israel uh, preparing to write this book. And one of those experiences when he actually camped out with a group of friends right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And listen to what he said in his book. He says, we pitched our tents at the shore and remained for three days and nights exposed to tremendous wind. We had to double pin all the tent ropes 
And frequently, we had to hang our whole weight upon those pegs. Otherwise, the quivering tent would have been carried totally up in the air. The whole lake, as we had it, was lashed into fury. The waves repeatedly rolled up onto our tent door, tumbling over the ropes with such violent force as to carry away the tent pins. Moreover, these winds were not only violent, but they came down suddenly, and often when the sky was perfectly clear. So that's just the dynamics that, that, that are there. I guess there's something about those mountains that surround the lake that funnel this, the winds down in such a, a powerful way. And that's what Jesus and his disciples were experiencing on that day in the Sea of Galilee. Actually, the word storm, as we have it translated in our English translations, is a Greek word that's pronounced seismos. That's where we get our word seismic activity, like earthquakes. So it was that violent, that strong. Now, the storms in the Sea of Galilee, let's notice this. It touched Jesus' closest friends. Were they out of God's will? And that why the storm came? No, they weren't out of God's will. They, they were with Jesus in the boat on the lake. And we cannot think that being a Christian puts us in a little bubble where life's heartaches and, and troubles cannot reach us. The fact is they do reach us, don't they? And it appears that this storm incident occurred shortly after Jesus had delivered what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, God the Father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, those of us in the Pacific Northwest know that's true, right? The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus never promised his followers that we'd be untouched by the trials of human existence. Christian people get cancer. Christian people deal with unemployment and accidents and divorce and lawsuits and persecutions. Peter, who would have been one of the disciples in the boat with Jesus on that day, wrote a couple books that we have in the Bible. We call them the epistles of First and Second Peter late in the New Testament there. And Peter wrote those books to people that were literally running for their lives. It was a terrible time. People were, were scattering all over the known world to escape the persecution. Some of them were being fed to the lions and the Roman Colosseum. Some of them were being burned at the stake. And to those people that were going through an incredible storm, Peter wrote these words. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. The Apostle Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say might be. He said will be. And Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't be surprised by the storms that come to us. Now, I didn't come here today to be a doom and gloom preacher and to have us wallow in our, our misery. I'm really an optimist, but we've also got to be realists, don't we? And the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 these words. He said, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, 
unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What's happening to our world? Am I suggesting that we're living in the, the end times? Well, I'm just suggesting that everything that I just read that the Apostle Paul talked about, we see in our world right now. I'm not a, a prophet here to, to say uh, that we're necessarily in the end times, but boy, there's sure a lot of accurate description of our day and time there. You see, the more that people pursue their own selfish ends, the more wickedness will prevail. And the end of that is destruction, destroyed families, destroyed nations, destroyed minds, destroyed bodies, destroyed lives. When we ignore God and his principles, we shouldn't be surprised to see things fall apart. But here's the good news. This is what I really want to share with you today, is that we can count on God's grace to uphold us in the storms of life. We go back to this image that we have on the Sea of Galilee. The storm was raging like crazy. The disciples were clinging to the boat, fearing for their lives. And by the way, this must have been an incredible storm because a number of those disciples were fishermen who had spent days and days of their life on that very Sea of Galilee and knew about these conditions, but this was a tough one. The Bible says they were terrified. And Jesus spoke out these words, silence, be still. The wind died down, it was completely calm after he said that. It's interesting to note that the exact same words that Jesus used here in Mark chapter four, he used those same words in Mark chapter one, speaking to a man who was demon possessed. He said the exact same things, silence, be still. And if you're facing a storm right now, my friend, please hear the word of the Lord to you. This is from Isaiah chapter 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Somebody here today needs to hear that. Fear not, for I am with you. He didn't say the waters won't come your way or the flames won't come your way, but he said when they do, I'll be there. And it may seem that the Lord has left you, but here the words of the Lord to you today from Hebrews 13 and verse 5, where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus' presence will calm the storm. Maybe you've heard this old expression, and it's been made into to poems and songs that, that maybe you've heard as I have over the years. The words go like this. Sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms his child in the storm. Sometimes he does calm the storm, but other times he says, I'm just going to calm you in the midst of that storm. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. The scripture says, my grace is sufficient for you when you face the storms of life. My friends, we need to stay in the boat with Jesus. That's where the safety is. 
When the storm is raging, sometimes we're tempted to think that the best thing we can do is to jump out of the boat. And that's the worst thing that we can do. But I've seen it time and time again. People, they, they panic. They freak out in the midst of the storm that they're going through, whether it's a big storm like the world is facing right now or it's an individual storm. Now more than ever, you need to be sure you stay in the boat with Jesus. If he's in the boat, and he is, there's safety there. Don't jump ship. You need to know that um, on Monday of this week, I sent an email to Pastor Kyle and said, this is what I'm going to preach on this Sunday. And it wasn't this. And uh, maybe you even got an email that I, I think earlier in the week an email was sent out with my sermon title, and it was a different title. It was going to be a talk about wisdom. And um, by the way, I feel very unqualified to talk about wisdom. But um, that was, that's where I was headed. And um, Wednesday night, I was lying in bed and woke up in the middle of the night, and I could not go back to sleep. I mean, this was like hours went on. And this story from Mark chapter 4 just kept coming to me and the thoughts that were flowing out of it. I basically preached to myself this message while I was lying in bed in the middle of the night, Wednesday night. And I called Pastor Kyle on Thursday morning. I said, Kyle, I, I don't know how far, you know, things have been communicated, but I really feel like the Lord is saying, there's somebody, maybe more than one person, that really needs to hear this message on Sunday. And so we, we switched it up. Stay in the boat. Somebody needs to hear that today. It may be related to your relationship with Jesus. And in the stormy time, you've been feeling like you're disconnected or you just want to say, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. Stay in the boat. Or maybe you've thought of it as it relates to, to being connected to this church. Stay in the boat. It, it may be related to your marital situation. The word of the Lord to you today is stay in the boat. Don't jump ship. Why is it that when things get tough, people begin to pull away from the very thing that they need the most? I've seen it happen over and over with people as it relates to church involvement. They're going through tough times and they, they get disappointed. And, and the problem is that that can lead to disillusionment. And people run from the very thing that God has provided to help you. We need the fellowship of the church. The church is God's instrument, his tool to help us when we're in the storm. Stay close to Jesus. Don't abandon the boat he's provided. In 1 John 2.28, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him. Jesus himself spoke the words, Remain in me. And I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pastor Kyle just preached on that a few weeks ago. Remain in me. Abide in me. Stay in the boat. The storms come. Sorrow and doubt and confusing times and circumstances. Problems and temptations. They can hit you suddenly, just like this storm hit Jesus and his disciples. Sometimes it's more gradual, but we all deal with it. I told you I wanted to tell you a story about a friend of mine, and my, my friend's name is Jim. And uh, last weekend, 
I had the honor of officiating at Jim's memorial service. Jim was 97 years old, and uh, we stood together, his family and I, at an outdoor service uh, in a cemetery, and we celebrated the life of Jim. I want to tell you a little bit about Jim's life. I was reminded of it because two of his sons and two of his grandchildren shared a bit of his story at this memorial service. So Jim was born over 97 years ago uh, in a little town in Oklahoma, whose name I can't remember, but it was a little uh, farming town. And when Jim was three years old, his mother died. And that was a real blow to the family. Jim's father, uh, they were just kind of subsistence living, trying to get by. Uh, Jim's father did the best he could, but wasn't very available as a parent. And Jim, uh, it would be hard to believe this if you knew Jim later in life, but Jim grew to be a very rebellious, troubled young man. And he, he was drinking a lot in his teenage years. And he was just incorrigible. In fact, he got kicked out of high school because he punched out the principal. Not a good thing to do. And uh, so he never graduated from high school. Uh, there he is in Oklahoma in this little town. Um, every day involved a lot of alcohol and just carousing. And uh, a friend of his heard that if they went out to the West Coast, they might be able to find work. And it was a pretty depressed uh, place where he lived there in Oklahoma. And so they drove all the way out to the West Coast to a city called Seattle. And they, they found their way to the Pacific Northwest here. Uh, they got some temporary jobs. They got an apartment. These two guys, they're like 17 years old, uh, living in, in, right in the heart of Seattle. And Jim just continued his ways. And he was out late every night in the bars. And his roommate got so fed up with Jim's alcohol problem that he kicked Jim out because um, Jim would be coming in at 2, 3 in the morning every night just making a ruckus, and his roommate kicked him out. So Jim found himself in this boarding house down in Capitol Hill in Seattle, and um, he, he developed a relationship with his family. And uh, this, this family had a, had a girl in their family. Her name was Arlene, and he was really attracted to Arlene. So he kept pursuing her, kept asking her to go out with him to bars and dancing and all the stuff that he was doing, and and she just kept saying, no, no, no. And he kept asking. He was persistent. And finally, she was so fed up with him asking, she said, Jim, the only place that I will go with you is if you come to me to church. And so he thought, my chance to be with Arlene. So they went to this church in the Belltown area of Seattle. It doesn't exist there anymore. It was called Bethel Church. And he went to this church, and he was kind of surprised. He saw all these young people there, people like his own age. He thought, why are they here and not out you know, in, the, in the bars like, like I think everybody should be? But he, he kept going. And uh, not too long after he started going to this church with Arlene, an evangelist came to Seattle. And one night, this evangelist shared the gospel message. And he said, if you want to follow Jesus, at the end of the service, he gave an altar call for people to come down to the front and, and receive Jesus as their Savior. And Jim stood up, and he walked down the aisle. And he told me once that he, as he walked down the aisle, he was aware of the fact that he had a pack of cigarettes in his pocket here. And he said, those cigarettes kind of represented to me kind of my old way of thinking, my old life. 
And so he said, I, I took the cigarettes out of my pocket. I knelt at the altar, and I just put them on the altar. And by the way, I'm, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that, you know, if you, sm you, you smoke cigarettes that you're going to hell. Um, you'll just smell like you've been hanging out there for a while. But, <laughs> um, so, that's, so that's what Jim did. He took his, his, his cigarettes out, he laid them on the altar, and he knelt there. And um, one of his sons told me that he asked Jim, he said, how long after you decided to follow Jesus did all the other stuff that you were involved with, I mean, was it hard for you to get over that? He goes, in my case, it was absolutely in instantaneous. He said, I had no desire to go back to any of that stuff. And he, he was absolutely transformed. And so he continued to go to church there. He, he grew in his faith. He was discipled. And he and Arlene began a relationship, and eventually they got married. And Jim and Arlene moved to the Ballard area of Seattle. Jim established a business. He was a roofing contractor. He had a very successful business. Never graduated from high school, like I said. And um, they had five children, four boys and one girl. And Jim was very involved in church life. Um, before we had worship leaders, um, they used to be called song leaders. Maybe some of you remember those days. Jim was a song leader at his church. And um, so fast forward a number of years, and uh, I get to know the family. I especially get to know one of Jim's sons, whose name is Marty. And uh, Marty was like about three years younger than me. And in his 30s, uh, when Marty and I are friends, uh, Marty gets diagnosed with cancer, lung cancer. Marty had never smoked, because uh, often we associate lung cancer with smoking, but that wasn't the case for Marty, but he had lung cancer. And um, they did surgery, he went through chemo, radiation, all sorts of things, and uh, Marty continued to go downhill. And I remember being with Marty, and Jim, his dad, his mother, Arlene, his brothers, his sister, in the hospice room at Northwest Hospital. It was the night that Marty died. And I remember praying with the family and reading some scripture together. And I remember looking at my friend Jim. This is his son. And I just remember him being so strong. I mean, he was in great pain. But he stayed in the boat. And I was asked to do the memorial service. It was a huge service. Like 1,500 people were there. And... Um, it was a real emotional time, but I watched that family, and I watched how they stayed in the boat with Jesus. A few years later, Marty uh, had, had some kids. His wife, Cindy, was now a single mom raising these kids. One of her boys, her second-born son, his name was Asa, named after one of the Old Testament kings. Asa got cancer as a teenager, brain cancer. We walked with the family. He went through treatment and all of that, and then Asa died. And I watched Jim once again at a horrible time in his life. The storm was raging, but Jim stayed in the boat, continued to love Jesus. Now fast forward several more years. Now Jim and Arlene are in their late 80s. Arlene got sick, and she died. I was asked to do that service. I watched Jim, I watched how he stayed in the boat with Jesus. About five years ago, Jim's daughter, he had one daughter, Elaine. She had battled cancer on and off for years. Must be some kind of family vulnerability there, I guess, but uh, Elaine died five years ago. 
I did that service. I remember watching Jim and how broken he was. I mean, he'd lost two of his kids, one of his grandsons, his wife. But Jim stayed in the boat with Jesus. Shortly after that, I got a call from Jim one day. He was living in an assisted living facility. And he called me and he said, Mark, um, there's this lady that I've met here at, at this place that, that um, I've been telling her about Jesus. And he said, I think she's ready to, to receive Jesus. Would you come here and lead her to Jesus? And I said, Jim, I said, you should do that. You're the one that has a relationship with her. You lead her to Jesus. He goes, no, no, it's got to be a pastor. So <laughs> what am I going to say? No. So, um, so I went and we sat in Jim's apartment, Jim and I and this lady, and I shared the gospel with her. I went through a little gospel track, the steps to peace with God with her, and we got to the part where it said, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? She said, yes, I really do. So we bowed in prayer together, and I remember praying that prayer, and she invited Jesus into her life, and as I opened my eyes and brought my head up, I, I, I was looking right at Jim, and he just had tears streaming down his face. And Jim comes from a Pentecostal background, so he was very vocal, and he was all about, you know, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord. He was just uh, doing that all the way through our prayer, and he was so delighted. So last weekend, when we gathered for his memorial service, was there some grief and sorrow? Well, of course, we're going to miss Jim, but it was a celebration of a man who had been transformed by the grace of Jesus and chose to walk and stay in the boat with Jesus. And I just, I just really believe in my heart today that somebody here today, maybe online, you need to hear this. You need to be reminded to stay in the boat with Jesus. And some of you might be saying, well, I'm not even sure what that means to be in the boat with Jesus. Well, let me just explain the gospel message to you really clearly. The Bible says that God designed us to have a, a relationship with him, but that relationship is broken by our sinfulness. That's all of us. Young, old, wherever we are in life, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But God in his great love for us said, I'm going to send a remedy to, to deal with this problem of separation between these people that I love and, and myself. God is holy, and our sin separates us from him. But he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus lived an absolutely pure and holy life. He never sinned. And then Jesus took the penalty upon himself that, that we deserve because of our sin. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And he said, I'm going to pay the price for your sins. And Jesus died on the cross for you, and he rose again, and he conquered our sin, and he conquered death. And when we choose to follow Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want to take what you did on the cross and apply it to my life. I want you to be my savior. The Bible says that a radical change takes place in our life, just like it took place in Jim Fuller's life. The Bible says we're born again at that moment. We, we have a, a new life in Jesus and that's what it means to get in the boat with Jesus. So today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I invite you to do just that. Just within yourself, just to say this prayer, and God will hear you. Say, Father, please forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge that I've, I've sinned against you. 
And I ask you to forgive me, and I invite Jesus into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. That can take place in your life today. Others of us perhaps have, have wandered a bit. We've drifted away from our, our, our faith in Jesus. Now it's time to get in the boat with Jesus once again and affirm that we're his followers. I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's, let's bow our heads together. Lord, I thank you today for the privilege of being with these friends here at Crossview Church. And Lord, you know how this world is struggling right now. It seems like it's a stormy time. And we just come to you in the midst of the storm and ask that you would be near to us. And some of us here in this room or, or watching online are, are dealing with storms of an individual nature or a, a, a family nature, Lord. We're, we're struggling. We're reminded today that we need to stay in the boat with you. Lord, I would ask that you would speak those same words over your people today that you spoke on the Sea of Galilee. Quiet. Be still. Pray that you'd speak those words over troubled families, over troubled individuals, those that are dealing with depression or, or anger or uh, poor health, whatever it might be. And then for those that today are realizing their need for a Savior, I pray that this would be the day of salvation for them. Thank you, Lord, that you said whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's your promise. We put our trust and our hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.